Hey now, happy, happy vibes, my friends. Welcome back to my podcast, Vibes by Alicia, where I believe in spreading killer vibes that light you up and give you that kick in the ass to craft the life you wish to live. This sacred space is dedicated to the lovers of all things business, travel, and lifestyle. Hey, it's about time you get the scoop on the latest vibes. So let's get to, to it. And guys, today we have everybody's favorite guest. My husband, Rust, is with us today. And we're going to be talking about a subject that so many people love for us to talk about. And it's really not one of the things that we really enjoy talking about, but it's something that people really like for us to talk about. Why don't we like talking about it? I like talking about it. You don't, you don't really like talking about relationships. I do sometimes. <laughs> what gets you? Oh my gosh. Okay. It depends on the wine you've had. All right. So what are you drinking tonight? Tell everybody what you're drinking today. Oh, I pulled out my favorite again. What 27. is it? 2017 Barolo, Nebbiolo from Piedmont. It's right up there with the Burgundians of France, if not better. Some good age on it, a lot of red fruit. Good body, not too overwhelming. So, by the way, everybody, Russ just finished his WSET 3. He just got a certification. Yes. If you know a little bit about the wine industry and the wine life, hashtag wine or wine o life. Wine o life. I wouldn't say wine life. I would say wine old life. Because <laughs> the W is more academic than it is service. That's a sommelier track. And it's definitely the wine old life. Mm-hmm. At least I said it correctly. Yeah, it's a lot of researching that has to go on. Into a lot that of one. It's so important, yeah. But it's an amazing um, accomplishment, honey. And um, yeah, the yeah. test goes all the way to London. So it gets tested right. in London. Everybody who is somebody in the wine industry always takes those yes. classes. This last level was a good six to eight month program depending on how long you took after the course ended to take the exam and and babe one more thing yeah. people always ask me why are you taking these classes if if you're not in the wine industry well you don't that's that's the thing that's a great thing about WSET is that there's two tracks there's a sommelier track and there's then there's the academic track the sommelier track covers the academic component but it also adds a service component which the academic track doesn't require and so, and I was never really interested in being in the restaurant business, mm-hmm. uh, but I wanted to know more about wine, how it's made, the regions, the grapes, the differences, the theory, the background, the history, uh, getting to understand the process and what I'm drinking. I just, you know, it's, yeah. just, it's just my personality. It's my type. And so the WC track is purely academic and it kind of gives you a full, full body education to take a, a double entendre from a wine glass. and. And that's kind of what I did. It's just one of those things where I've liked wine for 10 or 15 years prior to doing this and decided to actually put some, as they say, being able to talk shit yeah. behind it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you didn't start drinking yeah. wine until you were, what, 25, 26? 25, yeah. My, well, my parents, you know, my parents used to always buy that stuff from Kmart or, or <laughs> Randall's. And they didn't know what they were buying. They were from yeah. Europe. They were, they were vodka, scotch, uh, whiskey kind of people, beer. So they would buy the cheapest uh, wines. They had these elaborate check parties at their houses with like 30, 40 people. And they didn't have a big house, it's like 1,600 square feet. And I my, I would sneak a glass of wine in the kitchen while I was 16 or 17. I thought mm-hmm. it was the most disgusting <laughs> stuff in the world. You regretted I taking regretted that it, glass you know. of wine. I hated it. But they were, well, well, it was cheap. I remember they used to spend like two, three bucks a bottle back then. Back then. So yeah. It's a mess. It's like, how do you guys drink this shit? <laughs> And here I am, certified. <laughs> Drinking this shit later on. <laughs> Drinking this shit later on. <laughs> 20, 30 years yeah, later. 30 years later, right? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm so great. I'm well, so grateful that you're here, by the way. Trust me. 
hope you're not the same person. It's hard to pin you down to be my guest on a podcast. I have, I have to put it in your books like months ahead. Yeah, well, like it's so hard to get you to just come on, come on my my podcast. That's kind of sad. You're my husband. You should be on my podcast whenever I ask you to be. You got, you got to give other people a chance. Got, there's a lot of great people in the city. I like having you. I appreciate that. Um, so today we're going to be talking about, so we're going to be dissecting a little bit. It's going to be a conversation on relationships. It's going to be a conversation on love. Um, Valentine's Day is coming up very soon. People are starting to think about what they're going to do for Valentine's. If you're single, what are you going to do for that day? Because everybody else celebrates it. People get their roses or balloons, blah, blah, blah. I don't get any of that. I've never wanted any of that. And Mr. Ilatasi knows that about me. Yeah. I'm like, save your money. That's not what I want. And I just... I'm, and I'm glad I married a girl because I, I suck at all that. <laughs> yeah. You wanted a romantic guy you found the wrong dude. So lucky that I don't yeah. care about that stuff. Um, I don't even want to I know, I know. I mean, I do. I know. <laughs> no, I but... only get balloons for Alicia and flowers when I screw up. But thank, thankfully, that was the first ten years of our marriage. I learned the second half oh, of the ten gosh. years, so I don't screw up as often. Yeah, but I think the gifts got more expensive as more. you as you. Got... And it became more meaningful. They were long lasting. I think it became more expensive. Now it's like a nice bottle of champagne, right. a trip somewhere, Jack, like. Uh, <laughs> but. The balloon, you know, the balloons are nice. They kind of inflate, but then they deflate. But the experience lasts forever. Yeah, for sure. So we're going to be talking about love relationships. We're going to be dissecting five couples on TV that we love, love, love. But we're going to talk about them in terms of like we're going to grade them in in, in terms of couple goals. Hashtag couple goals. Are they a couple that's an A, B, C, D, or F? Like, what are they? Like, we are going to be dissecting it because Rusk is a big watcher of pop culture. He loves to watch all the, it, all the it, shows. I watch whatever you give me. I don't, I don't look for it. No, you do, you do. No, you get upset if I watch Sex in the City without you. I do like Sex in the City. Yes, you do. You do. And now, and now the new show and just like that. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Carrie and Big. Yeah. We're going to be talking about their relationship. We're going to dissect their relationship, their dynamic a little bit. We're also going to be talking about an old school couple that everybody knows. If you were a, a Gen Xer, you know this couple is Al and Peggy Bundy. We oh, yes. <laughs> love it. We Very love it. They were, I think, the first couple that we thought, oh, my gosh, they are so not like the suburban, typical suburban couple. They were so different. You know, little little Peggy with a little cigarette. No, um, well, I, think, I think that's what the uh, that's what it was, is a coming of age mm -hmm. TV series. That was the typical suburban couple. Is that is that the idea that living on the suburbs, you have this white picket fence, you have this perfect lifestyle, but behind the scenes, yeah, you actually find out there's a lot more going on. Right. Yeah. So we're going to dissect them, and then we're going to go back into time to the fifties and sixties, and we're going to talk a little bit about Don and da and Betty Draper, right. the uh, couple of Mad Men. This is a show if you haven't watched it, you definitely need to go back and watch it. I think it's was on Showtime. I'm, I'm not sure, but it's no, a AMC. yeah AMC right yeah. A, a, AMC and Mad Men was such a great show because it really really focused on the dynamic between women and men, especially in a couple setting because Betty was uh, submissive the the what is it called the wife that's always like doing what the husband says. I'll, I'll, Stepford I'll, the Stepford Housewife. So we're going to talk about them, and then we're going to end it with, um, actually, what 
Okay, we have Big and Carrie, Al, Peggy, Don, and Betty. And then we're also going to talk about one of our, our more recent couples that we've loved to dissect and we talk about all the time is Isa and Lawrence on Insecure. We have our thoughts on them because we definitely have an opinion on their relationship and what they feel. And then we're going to we're going to end it with um, a little convo on The Bachelor and Bachelorette just okay. because we have definite opinions on them. And as a couple that, that that's been together for a long time, we kind of have a, a way of seeing things in a different way, like looking back at at how our relationship evolved and how we came to know each other and, 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 and kind of get to know each other. And what's made our relationship last this long? Um, we definitely have thoughts on that. So okay, great. I think we're going to start. I'll follow. <laughs> should we? I think we should start with Big and Carrie because that's also kind of recent. Yeah, and Big right. just recently died, and they were married maybe twenty plus years. It was that long? Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so Carrie had a relationship with him for a very long time through Sex and the City, um, and his name was actually John Preston. Big John. Yes. Big, <laughs> big And and I think I think for me the perspective that I want to bring in with that is they were a long term couple. They had um, a relationship that was really kind of um, a roller coaster ride for them and for both of them and for her especially. You know, she fell in love with him hard and she accepted him but she was also an independent spirit like she wanted her independence she wanted her life aside of her relationship she wanted to live her life as a writer in the city um she was a sex uh, columnist and so she had a definite way of leading her life very single very open you know she was very accepting and i think mr preston john mr big came from a more conservative point right. of view came from yes. the corporate world came from right. an investment he was a capital investor like he had a different so lifestyle he, he had uh he was relatively more introvert in my opinion than carrie was in the show uh he didn't like the limelight he liked some of it but he didn't like it all the time he kind of wanted to go back uh and just just you know sometimes just catch a movie or just stay at home get away from all the attention while on the other hand carrie was somebody that wanted the attention and the limelight all the time and so i think i can relate to that a little bit me personally because i can handle some of it i just can't handle all of it and I think that's why John Preston, or Mr. Big John, as I like to call him, uh, had reneged a little bit uh, during the relationship. And then when that wedding had come out, that big day, he didn't have the wherewithal to show up. You know, it was a big catastrophe, obviously, particularly in the girl's mind. And, you know, it was disappointing. But at the same time, I could see kind of where he was coming from. He didn't, you know, guys, you know, some guys just don't like, you know, necessarily to be put in that situation on a daily basis there are guys that are hardcore extroverts to the extreme that can't do nothing but stay can't stay home they got to be on the go but you know big john was in that case so do you think that they had a toxic relationship though because people say that it was toxic because he left her at the altar remember that movie um i think it was the first movie that they did on the show they had a toxic relationship i think because a lot of times um she wanted certain things to be like she wanted the low life she wanted to kind of have like that life with him yeah, yeah. but he wanted it to be so super 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 yeah. private and she wanted it she, it became public right no i don't think it's toxic i think a toxic relationship is perpetual negativity all the time where you don't get along in any aspect where 
There's nothing but arguing. There's no commonality. Cheating, there, by the way. Cheating yeah. I don't think that was a toxic relationship. I think it was a situation where they didn't iron things out on the nuanced level that sometimes in a relationship, being married for 22 years, takes years to kind of understand and develop and become accustomed to. I don't recall how long they had dated before they got to the marriage, but I just remember all the boyfriends Carrie had and he kind of was there and then he wasn't there and then he came back. I just, I don't think necessarily it was toxicity. I just think it was one of those things that was ingrained in his core that Carrie just never got to. And the same thing uh, that he may have understood about Carrie earlier on, but she didn't understand about him. And that, and I think there's a lot of validity to my argument because after she had gone to that Mexican coastline beach, I don't remember where it was, was it Cabo, mm-hmm. right? Or Punta Mita. I think it was Cabo. Cabo. And then she had come back and then she, I wouldn't say succumbed, but then she understood and had a more low key wedding. Yeah. And they realized this is the guy who I'm really marrying. And I right. love him for who he is. And I think an important part in this relationship is like her understanding him from the beginning. And he kind of went along with her to make her happy. But ultimately, you can't go along to make right. somebody happy all the time. I think you have to put your foot down at some point. And he did not put his foot down. When her wedding plans were going off the chain and they were like, oh, magazine covers and then wedding dresses that were coming in from all over the world. He needed to say, hey, listen, this is not the kind of wedding I wanted to have with you. I get it. You're you're a public figure. You have the magazine covers, you have the wedding dresses, but Carrie also has to understand that this was his third marriage. So he couldn't go all out and do all that with her, you know? So there has to be an understanding between the two people that he needs to come a little bit with her and she needs to come a little bit with him, but not push each other to the point where he he left her at the altar because he was just not feeling like he was in the right place, in the right mind for, for, for getting married, you know? Right. So here's 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 the question that I would like to answer. This that was 20 years ago or 17 years ago, whenever exactly that particular episode had taken place, and the writing back then uh, still gravitated towards the man's needs. Right, mm-hmm. he won over her in my mind because she succumbed to his needs and he didn't understand her needs. Mm-hmm. Because if that if he understood her needs, he would have showed up at that wedding on that first day and realized. You know, I'm going to marry Carrie. She's a public figure. This is important for her career. My career is already established. I'm financially successful. Even though in the show, they kind of make her financially successful, all the shoes that she buys. But that was always kind of strange to me. That <laughs> You're always counting her money. To 20, <laughs> I count everybody's money. 10 to 20 to 30,000 dollars of shoes. But she was kind of a, a writer on a... I mean, we all yeah, know, no, we of all course. Know, we it's, all know it's, journalists it's, don't make a lot of money. It's not realistic. Not, not trying to throw shade at journalists, but that's the reality. She wasn't an author that, you know, of millions and millions of copies or whatever. So Right. She did sell a lot of books, but it wasn't to the level where she had right. those she kind a, of shoes. She was, a, she was a John Grisham or one of I mean, she was other. fighting for some Manolos for five hundred dollars. So, yeah. But if you fast forward and put that, that storyline seventeen years later in today's time, yeah. Would have that been different? Would the guy with you know, the Me Too thing that that has taken place over the last several years with yeah. the acceptance of People's sexuality, the perceptions of, you know, their their gender take, would that have been written differently to of where course. the man would have obviously yeah, done that? It would have. It would have. It would have been so much different. I think even now in the show now and just like that, it's so different the way things 
things are portrayed in, in relationships. It's like Charlotte and Harry, like the, their relationship, how they've evolved over the years and how, you know, they still have a very strong sexual tension and, and opposed to Miranda and Steve, like they don't have any sexual um, connection anymore. They don't like each other as much. I mean, they like each other. They're just not, they're not, they're not sleeping with each other. They're not, it's, they're not, sleeping. it's not a physical connection anymore. So they really are portraying, I think to me, 2021, 2022, and the realities of, of what happens in a marriage after a long time right. and the things that need to happen in order for you to keep it fresh and fun and interesting. And obviously social media is making it easier yeah. for people to move on. Because for sure. It's bringing the availability to your home where you don't have to go search for it. Left, yeah, but, but this is another issue that my single friends have. It's like social media is making it harder for them to date as right. well because there's so much right, right. They out there. They can't make up their mind. All right, let's move on They're to, to let's move on to Al and Peggy Bundy. And the reason why I wanted to do this couple is because it was the first time that we kind of saw a couple just kind of like let it all out. You know, with Al with his little hand in his pocket or, I don't know, sitting down on the couch, just like being a bum. And Peggy walking around with the cute little outfits and her little cigarette. I thought, you know, I thought, and where in the world do these people exist? But you say to me that they exist, that they were like that. And that was a suburban couple. I grew up in the inner city. I have no fucking clue what these people are like. Well, you grew up in in a demographic in the inner city that was was very different from true suburbia. And oh, very so different. So my parents yeah. had grown up in West Houston, Mission Bend subdivision. Uh-huh. And now it's a little bit different. It's kind of more urban now as, you know, as Houston has expanded west, north, you know, east, south, and all that. But back then, Al Bundy and Peggy were commonplace. You had this lower middle class to middle class family that could probably achieve better if they kind of applied themselves, but didn't really have any great skill set, but enough to raise a family and to get by and always, they give you the impression it's paycheck to paycheck, but it's really probably like month to month. I uh-huh. would say it's paycheck to paycheck, but, mm-hmm. and it was, uh, you know, it was kind of the semi-loser dad that had these kind of philosophies in life. That he's going to do great things, but never actually got there because he didn't have a skill set to get him there. And the housewife was waiting for her husband to come home. Her husband, the husband was always disappointing her all the time because he didn't have that skill set. Yeah. But they were just happy they were in the suburbs because it was just the, uh, it was a nouveau thing to do back then. Now the mm-hmm. suburbs are coming in place, but as suburbs started, started expanding from the 50s to 80s, you know, it was, it was kind of like, you know, you're, 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 no but i think for sure like for me the view of 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 them of al and peggy you know for me was always like gosh like why are they even married to each other peggy to me seemed like she was vivacious and fun and like interesting and always up to no good yeah always up to but she was always thinking she was curious and he came across as boring, right. as a bum. Right. Yeah, so, yeah, somebody who didn't care. Like she wanted to explore, she wanted to do things, and she was she was up to her antics like all the time. And I think that's why she dressed the way she dressed. I think that's the why she that's why she did her makeup the way she did because that was her way of like ex- right. expressing herself. Because the suburbs kind of gave you the impression that you were always on the precipice of greatness. Of achieving, keeping up with the, the next level, the next level, yeah. Because the suburbs took you away from the urban environment, 
back then. Now the urban everyone's kind of gravitating back towards urbanization. But back then it was you were kind of like the next level of being the next step to being wealthy. They just didn't have necessarily the ability to get there. So they tried and they pretended that they were getting there, but they never actually got there because they never had, like I said earlier, the skill set to do it. But I think one thing about um, Peggy and Al is they understood each other's sense of humor and they understood each other's sensitivities and their idiosyncrasies. I think, you know, when when Peggy saw him laying there on the couch, she she tried to get him to engage, but she kind of knew she wasn't going to get him to engage, you know. And when he tried to make her into a housewife and like make her like become like that girl that cooks and cleans and does all the yeah. housewife stuff. She was never going to be doing that yeah. ever, you know? So right. and that was, that was a transition from the 1950s and 60s. And yes. Was, which is what we're going to get to next. So yeah. The kind of culture that kind of moved on into the eighties and nineties and mostly, you know, in the eighties that, that we're no longer, the woman is no longer the, the housewife. She's now, she's actually a productive member of society. And that's what we're, here we are today where it would be un, unheard of to tell, our succeeding generation that women can't keep up with men. And the other thing I want to mention about Al is like, it was the first time that I noticed a father be super um, uh, involved with their daughter's life with Kelly. I remember with him and Kelly, Mm. like that was like, like, yeah, that was like an interesting way for me to kind of see, wow, you know, a dad can actually be supportive of his daughter and like, and just understand her. And he would just, whenever she would come home with some boyfriend problem, he always kind of came in with an with the with, best way with, he could. Yes, right. exactly. But it was an open dialogue. It wasn't like he shut her down and told her, "Oh, honey, just that's how guys are." He would always have a dialogue with yeah. her and comfort her. And so Kelly always had an open relationship with her father, as well as as Peggy with her son. Gosh, I can't even remember his name right now. But you know, they had that relationship and they had an openness, which is, I think, something that definitely is is different from the couple we're going to talk about next which was in the 50s and 60s which is betty and don draper and these are the mad men this this is the madman era and this is the, the era of the you know of the stepford wife don draper had a lot of issues um betty had her issues as well and so and they came together and it was sort of two dysfunctional people getting together and marrying each other right Extremely dysfunctional. It was actually kind of what led up to the Al Bundy and Peggy's situation, except back then the woman was obviously still considered necessarily a Stepford housewife, like you said. Um, you know, it's, it's, that's a generation that's hard for myself to understand because I was, I was a product of the 80s and 90s to see women in that particular light and that regard that they are not capable of anything greater than what they were. And she was actually, I think, a a realistic mother to her daughter. I remember that as much as she tried, that she had this daughter that was kind of rebellious and she was reaching her adolescent years and she Uh marched to her own beat. And the mother kind of relates to that. The father was simply distant. It was going to the office, cutting the next deal, white collar work. It was the next uh, step up in the corporate career drinking whiskey yeah and, you know it's just it's it's almost it, it i'm glad i personally didn't live in that time period i know it was too. it was rough to watch but it's, it was a fantastic show and it kind of gives you perspective of how we did we have it today and i know mm-hmm. we're far from perfection but 
I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah, and I think one of the things that I, I remember the most about that era and I think about it is is the way that women have evolved and have taken on a more um a more balanced, I think, lifestyle. I think I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me, but I feel like, you know, those women had these expectations placed on them to be extreme housewives uh, you know beautiful you know have the the house the car um the kids are the most well behaved they're well dressed and the male just simply goes to work and he comes home and he provides and that's it like to have a relationship yeah yeah, pretty much and for him to take on like a like a like a caregiver i don't see that i don't see don ever being a caregiver i don't see him taking any of the roles of a father of taking on the kids with him i it's so small and no it was to the point where he was oblivious of what's going on in, in his, in his know, kids in lives his life. yeah and that's and i think they did a fantastic wonderful amazing job on that show of portraying the culture back then the 1960s and 50s that led up to that yeah, and I think a lot of it is he didn't know how to love. I don't think he was he he grew up with that. And I think that's one of the things that we always talk about in relationships and couple goals is like if you did not have a good example at home for a loving relationship or um you know, just somebody that taught you how to have how to have a you know, a two-way street right. in a relationship. Yeah. I don't know that you're ever going to get it unless you go to therapy and learn it somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And you're yeah. going to get married and you're going to bring in all the, all the baggage that you carry from your childhood because your parents did not explore, did not share that. I remember you and I talking about that when we first got married. My parents are very affectionate people. So when I married you, I was a very affectionate woman towards you, but you weren't. You were not affectionate at all because you were not raised with that kind of affection. Definitely. Or Not that you weren't loved. You were loved. You were just not shown the affection to the extent that I was it was always a lot of it yeah, and it's to the next level so right so we had to kind of learn how I couldn't go to you all the time and approach you so much with like oh you know I I need this or I love you or I you know where I hug you and I kiss you and I'm all about you and then you like feeling like okay I need to open up. I need to be more open about, you know, letting her be affectionate, holding my hand. Like you didn't like even holding hands. It was to that extreme. But I think along the years, as things happen, as time went by, you became super comfortable with it and you became a little more open to that. Well, you have to adjust. You want something to work out in this world, you have to be flexible. Right. So that's another good tip for, for couples out there. It's, it is adjusting. It is, you know, finding somebody that, that, you know, just loving somebody so much that you want to change for them and you want to make it better for them and better for the relationship as a whole, right? Absolutely. Pretty much. Yeah. All right. Let's go to the next person. Otherwise, go to the next one. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit. We talked about Al. We talked about Big and Carrie. Don. Let's talk about Isa and Lawrence because that's an, a recent couple that we just literally finished watching the show on Insecure and HBO. Yeah. It's such a good show. We watched it from the very beginning. I think we binged the first two seasons because we didn't know about it. We learned about yeah, it later. It. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah, we we do. do. I try not to, though, but then we can't help it. No, we have nothing else. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about Ethan and Lawrence, who are together now. They're together. They ended up together after so many years apart and like 
breaking up, getting together, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, that's that's a tough one for me because I, I have a hard time wrapping my head around those two. Um, it was a lot of coming and going and breaking up and not staying together. I'm going to let you lead on this one. I'm going to see if I can follow. Oh. I <laughs> so, okay. So let's start with Isa, for example. Isa, um, <laughs> she, okay, so she struggled a lot at the beginning to kind of identify herself, what right. she wanted to be, what she wanted to do. Eventually she came around. Lawrence also struggled a lot very much at the beginning. Um so there was cheating involved. Isa right. cheated on Lawrence a few times, and so Lawrence wouldn't forgive her. Um, but he never forgot her. He never forgot her. He always wanted to. He always sort of had them had her in the background. Eventually, you know, time went on. They both got better jobs. He ended up fathering a baby with another woman, right. and so. I don't know. It was five seasons of like, will they, will they not? Will they, you know, get together? For me, honestly, I thought they, they were, they belonged together. And, you know, once you kind of put it into that context, you know, I think that they're the consummate succeeding generation to us, the millennials, Z generation. I think they're probably more millennials that just have a hard time making up their minds of what they want to do or who they want to be with. Mm -hmm. I think it's the whole social media thing going on that like we had talked about before, like everybody else is aware of too many options, too much availability going on. Uh, I think in their particular situation, my perspective is if they need to be financially stable for them to finally make up their minds of what they want to do. And I think the problem is that the financial stability, like you had mentioned, wasn't there mm -hmm. uh, at, early on. So that kind of throws a wrench into their plans because you don't know where you want to go in this world if the money's not coming in. Once the money comes in consistently, then you can kind of settle down and figure out what you expect in the partner life. And I'm not sure if that necessarily applies to the succeeding generation, but I think there's still some hope that maybe they could figure that out at some point. And like you said, once they got better jobs and were more stable, then they realized that they were ultimately emotionally and physically attracted to each other. Yeah, and I think that's the problem we had with Isa and Lawrence is that because we we saw them as as in we saw first of all we did see them as insecure. Both of them were insecure. We also saw them as um, they they right. couldn't come to a decision. You know, they would they would oscillate from doing this, doing that. They like her. They don't like her. You know, Nathan comes in the picture. Daniel comes into the picture with her, and but she never finds a grounding. I think that one thing that she didn't have from the beginning, it's like somebody who says, oh, I wish I would have met you at a different stage in my life. She had Lawrence at a different stage in her life. So I think at the end, he was the perfect person for her at that stage. But I think if you can't find somebody that meets you like face on, one-on-one, -on -one, straight up, this is who I am. This is what I want for my life. I don't know if, if, if that generation, the millennials or the Gen Z are able to articulate their needs like, like, like we used to. I think we used to be able to be very good at that. I mean, I remember the day you and I, you know, we're going to finally start dating. And you said to me, this is the reality. I'm going to be working 60, 70 hour weeks. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to have time for you. You like to socialize. You like to go out. You like to have fun. I'm not going to be that person. I'm not going to be that partner for you. That's going to be able to go to those places with you. Is that what you want for, for yourself? Mm 
And I said, yes. I said, yes, I, I think I can do that. I think that I can be that partner for you. Yeah, it means it's on. So <clears throat> I, you know, I think you nailed it right on the head with these folks. It's, uh, I think that maturity needs to come into play. I think financial stability needs to come into play. I think once they were able to achieve those two, they realized what they really wanted in this in life between each other. And, you know, I'm only speaking to people that want to have a long-term relationship. There's nothing saying, and I've said this before, I think on your podcast, you don't have to, nothing says you have to be married or have a long-term relationship. Everybody's hardwired different. Everybody's expectations and realities and circumstances are different. It, it's not for everybody. It's for some people. It's, it's not for others. And if that works out, you know, for some people, you don't have to necessarily find anybody. Some people find it later in life. Some people find it earlier in life. Some people never find it. And I think uh, it just took them a little bit longer to find it than most others. Well, yeah. I agree with you. I think that. Um, uh, no, I think it's important but, that we we also we also look at it in terms of like, what is it that you want at that point in life? And again, yeah, you're right. We're talking to people who, who are looking for like a long term relationship. And if that's what you want, then you have to be very clear about what you want in your value systems. And I think one thing that for me, as I was dating, if if their values were not clear and then and I didn't know who they were immediately and like in in a sense of like what they stood for, I was out the door. But I don't know, man. That was Gen X, and that was that was the late nineteen nineties, mid nine mid nineteen nineties. I think a lot of things are have changed, and social media has made a big difference in a lot of the way that people date nowadays. And I think Issa and Lawrence were the example of that, and how new new generations are dating now, and how they are texting instead of calling each other, instead of meeting up. I don't know if it's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing, but I'm not sure that that uh, that I understand it. I really don't. I think I struggle with with those relationships a lot. I struggle with looking at them and being. Uh, you know, objective right. to them because I tend right. to be so I no, judgmental. I, 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 I'm very judgmental I on struggle, them. I struggle with them. Yeah. I don't, I don't before. More cautious before I make a decision, but once I make a decision, I, I rarely look back. So this particular relationship in this particular episode, as enlightening as it was in so many different ways outside of my box, I had a hard time kind of understanding what they're trying to do. No, not, not, excuse me, I'll take that back. Not understanding, accepting what they do. I understand it. I understood it, but I didn't accept it. True, 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 true. So let's just talk a little bit. I, I love this, this conversation. I think it's important that we have this conversation because I think a lot of people really do want to learn more and be, you know, just, just have more tools in their toolbox. But before we go, before we go anywhere, we just got back from a trip to Canada. We were just in Canada. We were in Whistler. Um, Rusk, tell our, our listeners about the COVID restrictions. And there's a few people that have reached out and want to know how we got in, because I know it's not okay, easy. So not to, not to, well, we're changing topics here. We're yeah, all, we're, we're, we're changing bit, topics. But only because, right of, turn. because of demand of listeners. So, uh, you know, you got to get a PCR test, as we all know, antigen tests are rarely accepted. And so we had flown into Seattle instead of Vancouver. It's about a 90 minute to two hour drive to Seattle. And the cost of airline tickets was literally third. And there was no nonstops currently. And there used to be a nonstop going to Vancouver from Houston. I used to be in the travel business in the 90s. And then Lisa and I had taken this Vancouver flight before. But with COVID, now we got to fly to Denver, San Francisco, you know, to, on United to get to Vancouver. And so, you know, why pay? 
two times as much for the airline ticket. And instead, you can just fly to Seattle, you get the rental car, but then you get to the Canadian border. And they're extremely picky at the border. We had a hard time getting in, even with the PCR test. They wanted to know where you took the test. Why was it at, at why was it at an in-home test? Why was it not in front of a nurse or a doctor? I had to make the argument that in the Canadian government, uh, pro, uh, provincial yeah, the, guidelines, the guidelines, yeah, for British Columbia in this particular case, they, they didn't say anything about the in-home, uh, not not being able to take uh, at-home test. You know, he was. It got to the point where that particular uh, crossing, uh, sorry, the border guard, had said, "Well, how do I know that you're taking the test yeah. for your wife and for your kids?" I said, "Well, I says I can't prove it to you, but even if I did it in front of a doctor, or nurse, you wouldn't be able to tell. That's the only way I could prove it to you is if you had, you know, if I had actually taken the test in front of you." So my suggestion, I mean, it's all kind of hit or miss with the with the with the customs agent is. Probably do a test and, and stand in front of a doctor or nurse. Uh, you know, you may get you may get an agent that shows up at the airport doesn't ask you any questions, or you can uh, take a risk. But it's it's other than that, it wasn't that hard. It's just a PCR test, and you just got to make sure that you don't you don't take it at home, that you uh, do it in front of a third party. And if you don't fly into Canada, the trick is to make sure that it's seventy two hours from the time you cross the border. So I had done 72 hours from the time we flew into Seattle. We got to the border two hours later. And this guy was picky about the two hours that yeah. it took us to get there. Yeah. And so he made a big stink about this two hours difference. So I said, well, come on. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. Um, we're double vaccinated. We got the booster shot. Right. Three out of four of us are. Our younger son is 14. He doesn't qualify for the booster yet. I showed him the cards on the phone. He didn't care about any of that particular information. All he cared about is that we were we did a 72-hour test within mm -hmm. the time we crossed the border. So please account from the time you think you're going to cross the border if you decide to fly in uh, to the state and right. cross the border by car. Mm -hmm. Obviously, if you're flying in straight to Canada, then it's, it's a lot easier to deal with. It's just that flying to Canada these days is much more challenging. The flights are limited. The type of aircraft equipment they're using is a lot smaller and and uh it's a lot more expensive yeah so be prepared with your with your vaccination cards they do ask for them wherever you go they do ask for them they also want you to have your mask ready yes. all day every day Absolutely. they will they will also do the no, they ask, they ask you for temperature they'll do temperature checks they do some temperature checks they mostly are asking for your vaccination cards in every dining establishment yeah there's no exception even at the hotel the dining establishment even after you showed it to receptionist if you go into the, the waiter still the waiters, they want to see for they want to see and then they want to see id cards that that i mean it's a, it's, a it's an of, id with the vaccine yeah yeah it's you, a hassle if you want to get somewhere cool and, and you don't mind putting up a hassle like Alicia and I, and kind of just dealing with it because we wanted to get out, then it's definitely worth it. Yeah, no, you have to definitely um, assess whether it's something you're willing to to go for right. and just try. It was actually, I think, more strict here than it was going yeah, to South sure, Africa, sure. going to Central America. Hawaii was pretty strict. Hawaii was strict, and going anywhere in Europe. I mean, we had gone to Europe in uh, France, it wasn't that strict. So, and that's kind of ironic because as close as you are, 
to an industrialized country that has the healthcare capabilities and capacities to help the sick people, the more strict it is. Mm -hmm. When you go into a second or third world country, it doesn't have those that are less strict. That's the irony of it. Right, right. This is like a good, it's good, it's good to know and it's good to be prepared. Um, But you guys can always reach out to us if you have any questions, specific questions. We will let you know uh, where we stayed, where we went, how we rented our car, um, the hotels we visited, the restaurants we visited. Whistler is an amazing, beautiful place. It was gorgeous. It was scenic. It was everything that was that you can imagine about the Canadian Rockies. It was just fantastic and beautiful and gorgeous. It's similar to Vail or to Aspen, somewhere in that area in terms of uh, the beauty and the scenery. It's amazing. You got the rivers, the lakes mountains those you will love it and so let us know if you're traveling and you have any questions we've been all over the world i think um we've been to every single continent except australia for now and so it's it's something that we're we're definitely going to look forward to one day but um for now you know you just got to go with what the covid restrictions are and just manage those i don't think they stop us rusk and i have been traveling through this whole pandemic 2020 did not stop us. We still went. We did a lot more domestic traveling, but that was okay. We loved traveling domestic as well. So let us know. Reach us, reach out. And thank you, my honey, for being here and giving your perspective on all things relationship. Well, we do love Lisa your point of view. Busy, <laughs> we do love your point of view, by the way. Yeah. And so reach out. Let us know what's going on. If you want to hear anything else, you want to know a little bit more about anything. Um, you can find me at Vice by Alicia on my Instagram or at my personal account at think underscore chick. And you can also find us on um, Facebook. So I cannot wait to the next time. And thank you, Mr. E. Love you. Appreciate it. You know what time it is.